Good morning, New Hope Church family. Welcome to this Tuesday's edition of the TNT Devotionals. My name is Matt. I am one of the student pastors at our Friendswood campus. And speaking of student ministry, two big things. This past Saturday, we had our summer kickoff, which was a ton, a ton of fun. We had food trucks, we had worship, we had community, we had water slides, we had games, all the things you could think of that go into an incredible student ministry event. And we were able to kind of gather together for the first time uh, since COVID started. Uh, all four of our campuses, Webster, Alvin, Friendswood, and 288, gathered here at our 288 campus. Uh, and we just threw basically a big summer block party Saturday night, ton of fun. We have had over 500 people show up, a lot of volunteers in our church, parents, uh, staff. Man, it just felt good to be somewhat back to normal uh, after this past crazy year. Ton of fun that we got to have, uh, which led to uh, more students coming on Sunday. So people brought their friend, really brought their ones, as Pastor Tim had been talking about uh, over the past you know few months or so. And they brought their ones to Saturday's summer kickoff, and then they brought them back to church on Sunday. So they got to hear the gospel preached again. Um, a few students responded, so praise God. There's just been a lot of cool things that were able to happen because of Saturday. So student ministry team, uh, shout out to them. A little biased, but they killed it. Uh, and it was really great, really, really great to get to feel a little normal, something that we've been wanting to do for quite a while, and because of the pandemic and whatnot, we hadn't been able to until now. So it's been great. It was really great yesterday. Student ministry stuff was really cool yesterday. Um, and then there's another thing that's happening with student ministry, and that's camp. Camp is back. We're going to camp. I'm sure you got to hear about it, and uh, I'm telling you, camp, camp, camp. I cannot say enough about camp uh, because I think that camp is where God does some really, really cool things. He does some incredible things there, and there's something special, I think, about being able to get away and seek the Lord, put your phones away, get away from the hustle and bustle, get away from the school, get away from the drama, get just to get away and be with Jesus and be with like-minded people who are seeking after the Lord. Uh, there's something powerful about that and something special about that. And maybe, maybe it's because when I was 16, uh, I gave my life to Jesus at camp. Uh, I spent three summers in college working at camp. I don't, I'm just a little biased. But camp is amazing. And so if you have a 5th or 12th grader and you're watching this, maybe you have a, a grandchild or um, a son or daughter, man, we'd love for them to come to camp with us this summer. We'd love that more than anything. Uh, it's July 18th through the 22nd for high school. It's July 22nd through the 26th for 5th grade, 5th and 6th grade, and then 7th and 8th grade. And so we've got scholarships available. We've got uh, all the information you need on what, it, what does camp look like, what are we doing, uh, where exactly is it, how much does it cost, how do I get a scholarship, all those questions can be answered if you go to our website, newhopechurch.tv, uh, and you can find out some more information about Camp New Hope. So it's it's happening this summer, and it's going to be an awesome time. So we don't want anyone, out, uh, anyone to miss out on that. So get people signed up for that. If you know someone who wants to go, uh, let's get them signed up and get more information to them. So now that I got my shameless student ministry plug uh, out of the way, let's turn in the word to Mark chapter 3, verse 20. So we're actually going to be looking at kind of the first part of the small parable that Pastor Carl talked about on 
on Thursday when he talked about the strong man um, in the house and the, and the robber coming and you have to tie him up first and that kind of thing. So Carl talked about that f- part first. And right before he mentioned that, he kind of set it up with uh, this, this idea of, of um, how they were accusing Jesus of being uh, possessed by a demon and casting out demons by the power of Satan. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, we're not even really going to get into the demons part. I thought Carl did a great job just simply giving a brief explanation of, of that. And so what I want to do while you're turning to Mark chapter 3 is just provide a little bit of context uh, for us and all that's kind of happened leading up to this point. So we're only three chapters into Mark, uh, but we know that the book of Mark uh, is a really fast paced book. It's short. Um, it's about 16 chapters. So it's one on the shorter end when it comes to Gospels. Um, they think it's, most scholars would agree, it was the first gospel likely written. Um, and so it definitely has an influence on some of the other gospels when you uh, look at how these, what you often see in Mark, right, is you'll see uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000 and there's not like a ton of detail because he wasn't super detail oriented. And then when you read about it, like in Luke, who was um, more historical and a doctor and wanted to put in more details, uh, he will tell the same story that's found in Mark, but add details to it. Um, What that means is uh, Mark is just trying to just record things and write them down and and allow us to just have brief little snippets. Um, It doesn't make it less true. Uh, In fact, uh, I would say that because they're so similar across the board that and he would make it uh, be more reassuring that it is true. And so we stand firm on the Word of God, whether the Word of God is true. And so as we look into this story, if you want to, uh, in your free time later, Luke chapter 11 is kind of a cross-reference for this. So what Mark writes down in chapter 3, Luke also writes in chapter 11. And so you'll see that there's uh, a little more details in Luke, but we're going to look at the story in Mark. So uh, like I said... Mark is super fast-paced. It's boom, 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 boom. And uh, when you just read the first few chapters, you'll see like a repeated phrase, uh, depending on your translation, and it'll say, Jesus did this, and then Jesus did this, and then Jesus did this, and then Jesus said this, and then Jesus did this, and there's this like, and then, and then, or if you read the ESV, it'll say immediately, 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 immediately. So there's just this idea that Mark is trying to get across uh, that that Jesus was a person of action, Uh, and in the Greek, uh, the word, which is the language that the New Testament is written in, the word chi, which is and, it's obviously used a ton of times, but all these sentences a lot of times in the beginning of the book of Mark uh, are used to start off these little subsections in the early chapters. And so it'll say like, Jesus healed many and Jesus preaches in Galilee and Jesus cleanses a leper and Jesus heals on the Sabbath. And all of these sections start with and, which Mark is using that as like a literary tool to connect that all of these things are connected to the same person with the same purpose and showing just how fast-paced all of this stuff is. So uh, Mark wrote this book uh, and then later we uh, divided it up into chapters and verses, uh, which makes it easier to read. But the point is like he uses Kai, that word, to start these sentences to show Jesus was a person of action, very action-packed, very fast-paced, 
And so that's one element of the book of Mark. As we read along, we'll kind of see how Jesus is just all about action, 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 which is going to frustrate some uh, religious leaders. And then another thing in Mark's gospel is that Jesus is often uh, seen as someone who teaches with authority and like a unique authority that they had not seen before. And so you'll see a lot of times in the book of Mark, it might say, and they were astonished because he taught with authority or they were surprised because they taught with authority or it'll say like, and they said to one another, this man teaches with authority. And so you'll see that repeated theme, uh, which again, when there is someone who is teaching with authority that they've never seen before, uh, the religious leaders at this time who wanted all the authority and all the power, uh, they uh, are really frustrated and angry and we'll see that um, there's just a ton of tension that happens and kind of comes to a head partly here, only three chapters in to what Jesus had been doing and only three chapters in to Mark's gospel. The religious leaders are already kind of having issues with Jesus. And so keep this in mind when we look at this passage, the authority uh, of Jesus was starting to do two things. It was gaining followers uh, as someone who's a, has, as a person of authority and influence, you know, naturally people flock to them. And so that was happening with Jesus. And then his authority was also upsetting religious leaders. And so let's look now at verse 20. Um, and we'll kind of break it down from there. It says, verse 20, it says, Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. And when his family heard this, they went to take charge of him, and they said, He is out of his mind. So you're seeing that... Um, his family, even at this point, were starting to see the authority that Jesus taught with. They were starting to see the miracles he was performing. And they were starting to kind of get worried because uh, we know that uh, Jesus' own brothers, and if you watched our first week of fight when we talked about Jude, that uh, they didn't believe that Jesus was really the Messiah until after the resurrection. And so people are gathering, including his own family, and are like, I don't... This guy's saying he's the Messiah. This guy's performing these miracles. This guy's teaching with authority. Like, he's crazy. Like, he's out of his mind. Like, don't listen to him. And it's interesting to think of the people who grew up with Jesus were the, the, the ones who were, like, closest to him, right? Who had known him longest were the ones who were denying him first. And you see just this contrast later, post-resurrection, where his brothers end up being leaders in the church uh, with James and with Jude, it's fascinating to think that they were, they were quite literally right under Jesus' nose and they still like, couldn't figure out that he was the Messiah, that they were witnessing all the things he was doing and they still didn't want to believe that he was who he says he was. So verse 22, it says, The teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He's possessed by Beelzebul, or some translations might say Beelzebub, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. And so uh, the, the word there, Beelzebul or Beelzebub, um, the Hebrew, so it's, a, it's an old Canaanite god um, who's like the lord of the temple. Uh, they, that's kind of like one of their old gods. Um, the Hebrew people actually like changed it to make it a play on words. So uh, they would almost be mocking it. And so they would, they would change his name to be the lord of the flies and so, or like the lord of nothing, um, kind of in a mocking tone. And so they're, they're saying here um, that he's the, by the prince of demons, he is driving out 
demons. And so what do we, what do we learn here? Um, I think we see a couple of things. Uh, we see that Jesus had been performing miracles. Crowds were gathering. Religious leaders were getting upset. Uh, and then they accuse him of being a demon-possessed man who casts out demons from other people, which just sounds ludicrous. And really, you kind of see that the religious leaders feel really threatened. And when people get really threatened, they start to say really ridiculous things in order to, to defend themselves or deflect uh, issues that they might be dealing with. And that's what you're seeing here. The religious leaders are, uh, hey, this guy's teaching with authority. He's, he's performing miracles. He's causing... Uh, issues with with what we're trying to do so they're pushing back against him and I think Jesus at times when he gets accused of something um, he often doesn't address it directly Um, think about the time where they wanted to to hurt Jesus and it says that he just passes through the crowd and leaves um, and they kind of don't know where he went and so there's there's different times in the New Testament where people address Jesus for the things that he's doing um, and he doesn't really address it. He kind of just leaves <laughs> or just says, like, accepts that maybe they've rejected him, and so he just moves on. Um, but here, uh, in this moment, Jesus does the classic Jesus thing of asking a question. In fact, he asks three of them. So if you look at verse 23, it says, So Jesus called, called them over, and he began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. And two verses I I really want to look at just briefly this morning is I really want to look at verses 24 and 25. And I'll read those again. It says that if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And this is one of those things where uh, there are times, I think, when Jesus teaches and, and we try to, like, the meaning of what he's saying is, is maybe hard to, to figure out at, at first. You can't just take it at face value because Jesus uses a lot of hyperbole. He uses, obviously, parables and, and different metaphors. And, and so we're, we're like, ah. What did Jesus really mean? Like, think about, think about in, in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is like, hey, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Like, obviously, he's not saying literally cut it off. Um, he's using hyperbole and being like an exaggerating here and talking about extremes there to make a point. And so we're like, okay, well, we look at this story that Jesus is saying and talking about a kingdom divided. Well, well what is that? I think that this is one of those moments when Jesus is speaking and he's it's pretty straightforward and pretty just to the point where we don't have to dig deeper than necessary because what he's saying is so simple. A kingdom divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And I feel like we can all agree on this, right? It feels like it feels like our society, our country, and for some of us, maybe our families uh, just start dealing with a lot of tension and, and division and that there's tension around just about any topic. So if you want to talk about religion or politics or race or values or morality or just, just about anything, it feels like there's just a ton of tension there when we would probably say there doesn't need to be because 
the, the answer to what's right is pretty obvious. And, and obviously, we know what's right. We have the Word of God. Um, but it just feels like everything is a sensitive subject, and people are so divided. And, and let me just say this, that that's like exactly what Satan wants. That's exactly what he wants. He, he wants division, uh, especially among believers, because he knows that a kingdom that's divided against itself cannot stand, a house that's divided against itself cannot stand, a family that's divided and is always at tension with one another can't really accomplish the purpose that they're called to. So Satan wants that. He wants division, especially among believers. I think C.S. Lewis, he writes in his classic book, uh, Screwtape Letters, it's a book written from the perspective of a demon. Obviously, it's not literal, it's not real, um, but it's a very, very, very incredible book. Um, it's, it's basically um, this, a story that takes the form of a series of letters that um, a senior demon, his name is Screwtape, he's writing to his nephew, Wormwood, uh, who's like a demon in training, basically, who's like on earth, and he's trying to uh, basically... Like, Wormwood is responsible for making sure that there's uh, a guy they refer to as the patient, that he goes to hell and doesn't accept Christ. And so that's, like, the main thing uh, that Worm, uh, Wormwood is writing, or, sorry, Screwtape is writing to Wormwood and trying to just, hey, here's the tips and tricks on how you can, like, secure damnation for this person. And it's really a really interesting book. If you've never read it, it's a classic from C.S. Lewis. Uh, it's a great, great book. Um, incredibly creative um, and you kind of have to understand, because like throughout the whole book, um, in the letters, they refer to God as the enemy, um, because, well, that's reality. And so it's, it's really creative, really great. So if you've never read it, I suggest you read it. Um, go pick it up, order it on Amazon or wherever you want to get your books. Uh, I, I think it's a really great read, um, really, really fascinating, and, and really um, gives you some insight on how the devil wants to... Um, trick and manipulate and divide uh, the church and individuals. Um, but uh, Screwtape, he's writing this letter to Wormwood, and he says uh, this quote, he says, Provided that meetings, pamphlets, policies, movements, causes, and crusades matter more to him, talking about the patient, more to him than prayers and sacraments and charity, then he's ours. So he's writing this thing like, hey, if you can get him to just care more about meetings and policies and movements and crusades and causes, if you can get him to care more about those than he does about Jesus, then we've got him. Then we've got him. Then we can distract him long enough to where he'll never accept Christ because he's too busy. And what, what most people would say is a good thing, and he's prioritized that over his relationship with Jesus. And division, that, I mean, then that's what Satan wants. Like, he wants that. And we would say that, like, division is anti-gospel, that the gospel tells us that we've been bought with a price, we've been bought with the blood of Jesus, and then by doing so, we are made new in him, a new people, a united people. A people where it says that there's no longer slave nor free, Greek nor Jew, male nor female, or man, we're just united when it comes to salvation, that all are welcome to the table, and there's an opportunity for, for everyone to accept Christ, and then when he, when he we accept Christ. He changes us to be more like his son, Jesus. And, and the church has a purpose to do, to know Christ and make him known. It's not just a New Hope Church saying. It's not just a New Hope Church little slogan. It's real. It's what we are supposed to do as believers, to know Jesus and then go and make him known. 
And then when we elevate like preference over purpose, it leads to division rather than unity. And Satan wants us to be like this, but the gospel has brought us together. The gospel has made us whole. The gospel has made us new. The gospel has created a new people who are united under him, bought with the blood of Christ. And Jesus paid too high a price for us, for us to be fighting amongst one another when we've got work to do. Well, we got work to do to reach people for Jesus. And when we get distracted by the little petty things, the open-handed issues, the things that, man, we, we can agree to disagree here, but like, let's stay focused on what we're supposed to do. When we get distracted enough to where we're not doing what we're supposed to do, man, that's exactly, exactly what Satan wants here. And I'll say this real quick, brief side note, um, that unity... Uh, is not uh, agreeing with everything from everyone that just because like, hey, we're supposed to be unified, so I'm just going to accept every everything about everyone and every set of beliefs. Like, no, like, that's not it either. Um, I think Pastor Tim uh, just taught this past, week, this past weekend about it, uh, where we talked about, man, we stand on truth. Like, we as believers are called to stand on truth, uh, and we contend for the faith that all have sinned, that the way of salvation is faith in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus who died and rose again, and that we live empowered lives by the Holy Spirit. And, and that's what we stand on, right? We stand firm on that. We stand firm on the word of God as, as God's truth, as the standard, as what helps us understand what God wants from us as a people. And just because I disagree with something that opposes this book doesn't mean that I'm here to cause division, right? We've got to stand firm on the truth, the truth of God's word. And so if you want to hear more, I think, about what that looks like and how sometimes the truth is uncomfortable, and uh, I think you can go back and watch week two of our series, Fight. Pastor Tim kind of laid that out there that, man, we, we're, we are a church that welcomes sinners and God loves the sinners. And in fact, he loves the sinners so much that he saves them and changes them, that they can't stay the way that they are. I cannot stay the way that I am. I've got to be more like Jesus day in and day out. So um, that's unity is not accepting everything from everyone. That's not unity. Unity uh, is probably best understood as like togetherness. It's working together for a purpose. Uh, for example, um, I've got a son on the way. He's about three weeks away. Uh, which is really crazy to think about, almost nerve-wracking, I think. Um, first one, don't know anything, uh, but everyone just says, hey, you'll figure it out as you go. So that's what I hope to do, uh, Lord willing. Um, but I know that every, every uh, kid uh, loves to play with dump trucks. Uh, sorry, I'm a student pastor, so you know I've got to have like a toy or like an illustration up here of some sort. Um, and think about like a little toy. Uh, like this, I feel like every kid, doesn't matter, like my grandparents played with like dump trucks. Uh, I played with dump trucks. Uh, my kid will play with a dump truck um, and it's just kind of the way it works, right? Um, and you think about, think about how this toy works and how this toy right here is made up of a bunch of different parts. Uh, you've got like wheels that spin, you have uh, the bucket that tilts, you have the pieces inside that allow it to actually tilt in it not to just go like this, but it can go like this. Uh, you've got a place here where, where like another toy can fit. Um, you've got screws that hold it together. You've got this piece and this bracket and, and this little 
uh, bar here that keeps it all in place. And it's a bunch of different parts that kind of make up a whole and make up a collective. And, and just imagine for a sec, uh, if these tires uh, suddenly came to life and were like, I don't want to be here anymore. Uh, I'm going to go off and do something else on my own. And this little tire right here decided to go over there and it, and it separated itself from the truck or, or this back this back tire and this bucket, they decided to go somewhere else. Well, then you don't really have a dump truck. Uh, what you have is just like a shell of what should be a dump truck. Um, and that's because this, this little piece here is like not created to be on its own. Um, it's, it's created to be part of the whole, a part of the collective, to be together uh, with this. There's different pieces, there's different parts, there's different jobs that these parts have. And we see that Paul would write uh, later on in the New Testament that that's the way the church is, that there's different pieces of the church. There's different roles that we all have. There's different giftings that we've been given. There's different abilities and passions that we all have. But when we try to use it for individual gain or we get distracted and we try to use them over here, then, man, we're, we're totally missing out on what God has created us for, to be one united church. And our gifts are meant to be used for the collective, for the whole, to be together. Our personalities are meant to be together and used to serve the church, that all that God has blessed us with, we're called a steward to use to bless the church, to know Christ and make him known. And so uh, our call is to be uh, unified together, a kingdom divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. A house divided against itself cannot stand. And so if, if, if that's true, then we've got to be united or else we're going to fall. We need each other or we're going to fall. And so we got to fight for unity, fight for what's right, stand on God's word, stand on the truth. Because a house divided, a kingdom divided cannot stand. And I don't know about you, but I want our church to stand strong for the Lord, to know him and make him known. Would you pray with me? God, um, just pray for unity. Unity that, that comes because of your Holy Spirit working in us because we can't muster it uh, in ourselves. So God, would you just move in our church? Would you make us united across social classes, races, backgrounds, Whatever it might be, whatever things that might want to cause division, I pray, God, that we would be unified, unified about you and wanting to focus on making you known and knowing you more deeply. And we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, church family, love y'all. We'll see you on Thursday for our Thursday TNT devotional.